Welcome to Table Radio Season 2. This week's sermon was preached by Anna Spray on Sunday, January 9th. Enjoy! Well, hello there, Table friends. Thank you for joining us today. It's a new year and a new season for us in terms of our preaching series. To start off 2022, we will be preaching on the parables of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' teaching has been noted for the way he used parables, a unique uh, way to use these small story illustrations to explain very complex ideas. And many scholars still today who don't believe in Jesus at all still point to this use of parables as a uniquely creative and effective teaching tool, one that stands out in ancient literature and still stands out today. On the surface, these stories appear to be simple, but with closer study, they reveal deep, life-changing truths about God and about ourselves. When I was a student at Regent College, I had friends who would write entire theses on just a couple lines of a parable. So deep was their meaning and their significance, and our hope is that by examining them in this new year together, we will come to understand more about Jesus and about his coming kingdom. And you will notice that as we read together that the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is used over and over again in these parables. A total of 80 times that phrase is used in the New Testament. <clears throat> in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, it's also called the kingdom of God. The meaning is the same. But this phrase doesn't originate in the New Testament. It crops up for the first time in 1 Chronicles 28. King David makes plans to build the temple in Jerusalem, and he says this, I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and you have shed blood. But the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. And he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And then again, in 2 Chronicles 13, um, a different member of the household of David, uh, Abijah, stands up and makes a similar speech. And he says, and now you plan to resist the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hands of David's descendants. So the kingdom of the Lord, or the kingdom of heaven, is all tied up in God's authority. Where is God present? And both these passages talk about not only where God is present, but where is his authority located. As David and Abijah say, God's authority has rested with this family for generations. God is present with us. These are the kinds of questions that crop up in scripture time and time again. Where is God? and where is evidence of his authority. This is exactly what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is all about. The presence of God and where is his authority being exercised. Now in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, which is mentioned in our first reading from First Chronicles, the Ark of the Covenant was this wooden chest, gilded in gold, that housed the important um, elements of the Jewish religion. So the stone tablets that contained the Ten Commandments were in there, amongst other things. And this box was thought to be the physical place where God dwelled on earth. For the Israelites, 
they understood that it, it housed his presence. It was where they felt closest to him. But for us, just a few weeks ago in Advent, we sang of Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. But the people of God who existed before the coming of Jesus couldn't say that in the same way that we do. They didn't have the same relationship with God's presence. They existed before the day of Pentecost, before the coming of the Holy Spirit, before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. So this box and the items it contained were the closest things they had to understanding God was resident with them, was present, was with his people. And they would carry the Ark of the Covenant around wherever they traveled and wherever they worshiped to signify God's presence goes with us. We are his people and he is with us. And King David wanted to build the temple in Jerusalem to house this box, to bring honor to the place where they felt God was with them the most. So the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with God's presence. It is where he is in his fullness. It is also the place where he has authority, where his will is carried out. The kingdom of heaven is the place where God's rule is exercised and his will is done. So our reading today from Isaiah, this passage in chapter 52 illustrates what this kingdom looked like. We know what it is. Now, what does the kingdom of God look like? This is Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen. Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. You listen to that passage, you notice all the mentions of our senses. You will see You will hear, listen, and see. God is present, God is with his people, and joy is forthcoming. Now these words were first spoken by the prophet Isaiah at the moment when the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Babylon had come and had fought the city and sent God's people into exile. And only a few people remained, and they are looking at the wasteland around them, and they are wondering, where is God? Jerusalem was supposed to be the place where God was present, right? It was the place that would house the Ark of the Covenant, and and it meant everything to God's people. That is where God was with them. And he would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing from that place, they believed. But now that place is destroyed. So where is God, and where is his authority? Isaiah looks at the same wasteland, and as a prophet, he has a different reaction. He tells them, you're in this mess because of your sin. They turned away from God and became corrupt, and so he says the inevitable conclusion is that your city and your temple will be destroyed. Everything is lost in their opinion. But in Isaiah's vision, a watchman on the still existing city walls sees a messenger down on the road outside the city. And this messenger is running towards the wasteland, shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. How can we see beauty in the midst of a wasteland? Well, the feet of this messenger are beautiful 
Isaiah says, because they are carrying a beautiful message. Despite all the destruction they see around them, God still reigns as king. And he will one day return to the city, take up his throne, and he will bring peace. Restoration will be for everyone. And the Israelites are to sing for joy because this is good news, and they believe this message. We must ask ourselves, despite our current circumstances, do we believe in this gospel? Do we believe in this good news? For as the people of God, this is the age-old question before us. Do we believe, despite what we might see around us, that God still reigns as king? Do we believe the good news, that he has won the victory and brings salvation and peace to us? Originally, <clears throat> when God calls Abraham and Sarah to form a people to belong to him, he creates the promised land, the Ark of the Covenant, and later on the Temple of Jerusalem are all supposed to be the places where God would reign over the world. But when the city of Jerusalem is destroyed around 70 AD, this brings that belief into jeopardy. The prophecy of Isaiah is given at the moment Israel is in exile, and they don't even have access to the place where they felt God was resident and present to them the most. And yet, Isaiah says, there is still good news. Isaiah is saying, despite Jerusalem's destruction, God still reigns as king, and he will one day return to take up his throne and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of this good news in Greek, the euangelion, the gospel. To evangelize, therefore, is to announce the victory of a king. And in the New Testament, this is what Jesus does. He goes from one village to another to announce God's evangel, God's good news. Jesus himself, as he preaches the parables, is that messenger on the road, announcing the good news of God. Jesus begins his ministry in the world by announcing God's kingdom has come. And in the New Testament, the same phrase, the euangelion, the good news, the gospel, is spoken all over the place to refer to the coming of Jesus himself. Jesus, his person, is the good news. And time and time again, people are confronted with the question, do you believe the news that the king has come to reign? Or put another way, who do you say I am? This is what the good news means. News of a good king coming to bring his peaceful reign, and this is what Jesus fulfills. And over time, this phrase, good news, was used to sum up all of Jesus' teachings. Jesus saw himself as the messenger on the road, bringing the news that God reigns, the news of himself. And instead of a kingdom being brought with weapons and war, this kingdom comes as Jesus heals people as he casts out demons, as he sets people free. This is exactly what he is doing as he speaks the parable teachings. So, just to review, the kingdom of heaven is the place of God's presence and the place where he reigns. And Jesus comes to tell us that this kingdom is coming to earth and that he is that king. This is the good news. Jesus coming to be born in Bethlehem is the beginning of God's kingdom. And as he grows and starts his public ministry, Jesus does all the things that a good king should do. He heals people and forgives them. He teaches with authority. He appoints 12 disciples, and then he dies. 
And that is just like the temple being destroyed all over again. How can we believe in a king that is dead? How can God rule if his temple, Jesus, is destroyed? But we learn that Jesus had to die in order for the sin of the human condition to be overcome because God cannot reign over a a world torn by sin. So Jesus brings his act of sacrificial love so all can be forgiven and God's reign can go forward. But more than this, Jesus' crucifixion is his enthronement as the king. He receives a crown and a robe. His throne is the cross. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Jesus defeated death. He reigns as king. He deals with our sin and the corruption of the world and has given us his life and his love. He then sends us out to share, to become the messengers on the road, to share the news of the king who defeated death with his love. We are now the messengers running on the road in the midst of destruction, saying the king is coming. We have a king, we have a kingdom, and we are beginning to understand where God's presence is and where his authority is being carried out. As his followers, our desire is that his will will be expanded beyond heaven and envelop the whole universe. For us here at the table, we're Anglican, and so we regularly pray the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, we ask for God to act on earth as it is in heaven. This means we are asking God to bring the order of heaven to the place, the place where his rule is fulfilled, down to earth. We want earth to look like heaven. One of my favorite teachers from seminary, Daryl Johnson, suggests that these words, as it is in heaven, is the actual center of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' prayer is to bring the order of heaven to earth in everything that he is doing and saying. So when we see Jesus act and speak in the Gospels, those are the actions and words of heaven. May God's name be hallowed as it is in heaven. May his kingdom come as it is in heaven. Every phrase in that prayer can be followed with as it is in heaven because we want to imitate the order of heaven here on earth. Not only do we want God's heavenly order to come, we want his presence here as well. The kingdom of heaven is about restored relationship. Because of Jesus' act of sacrificial love and our sins being forgiven means relationship can be restored. Relationship between us and God, relationships between one another. Now, I've been sick this last week. Many in our community have. Um, And to pass the time, I watched way too many rom-coms. And movie after movie, it became painfully obvious just how bad human beings are at relationships. We let each other down. We fail to communicate. We hurt one another. We desperately need God's help to know how to love each other. We need the good King Jesus to teach us how to love, to bring the good divine order of heaven into our lives and to sort out the mess that we've made. Praying the Lord's Prayer is asking God to enact his will, to bring the good, healthy order of heaven into our relationships. Now, we might begin to wonder, is the kingdom of heaven really real? And I'm sure that those Israelites who stood amidst the destruction of Jerusalem wondered the same thing years ago. Where do we see evidence of God's kingdom in the midst of the destruction that we see? 
in a world where we see sin and brokenness and sickness and suffering, where is the evidence of God's presence and his kingdom, his will being carried out? Where do we see proof of this? Well, and here too, the parables help us to understand. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and like yeast. In both parables, a person takes something small, microscopically small, and they put it in something, and its effects grow. It grows so large, in fact, that complete transformation happens. A tree sprouts where there was none, and birds and creatures can nest in its branches. Bread is made where there used to be only flour, and many, many people can come and eat. The coming of God to reign as king is like a man planting a seed and like a woman putting yeast in dough. Transformation happens, provision is made. And when John the Baptist began his ministry, he announced dramatically, it is time, time for the inbreaking of heaven to come, for God's new world order, for the rule of God to invade the world. And after he says this, Jesus arrives. And he brings healing, and he frees people from demonic possession. He shows that the kingdom he is bringing is about healing and freedom. These are signs of the kingdom. But even though the light has come, some are healed, and yet there is still darkness. Is the kingdom really coming if these sufferings are still present in some places and some people? Well, in these two parables of mustard seed and yeast, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven doesn't come in a loud, obvious, complete kind of way. It's not like when you update your system on your computer. Everything doesn't shut down and then restart again. No, God's kingdom comes small, like a baby being born. And slowly it grows and it expands, bringing transformation over the passage of time, quietly, but the potency of that smallness, that seed or that yeast or that baby, will prove its growth over time. Let's look at an example of a family. One of my roommates in grad school was from a family of eight children. Her parents were exceptionally faithful Christians. They prayed with and for their children all of the time, for years. They did family church at home often and, and studied the Bible rigorously around their kitchen table. They encouraged their children to follow Jesus in every way that they knew how. Now, each of those eight children had varying experiences with faith. One walked a straight path, and others had a more winding road. But ultimately, all eight of them grew up to be adult Christian followers of Jesus. Now, six of these eight children married spouses of their own, also Christians, and had children of their own, who they also taught and prayed with. And so today, from two believing parents, there rose up a clan of over 35 believing Christians in only a short 30 years or so. This is how the mustard seed yeast kingdom grows. Small at first, as small as two people meeting together to pray. And then mighty over time, two people becomes 35, slowly, day by day. To this day, the good news message of Jesus has spread all over our world. Biblical scholars estimate that when Jesus first spoke these parables, he probably had fewer than 100 followers, which is 
not too far from the size of our church. But slowly, the gospel grew over time. Jesus' disciples take the good news to Asia Minor and Southern Europe and South India and Ethiopia and Persia and Iraq and India and Armenia. Tiny beginnings that grow slowly over time. Today, Jesus' followers are on every continent and in every country of the world. And this is how God's kingdom comes, through the small and the ordinary and over the passage of time. So, where is God? Where is his will being carried out? Today, the Bible tells us the kingdom of heaven is in us. We are the place where God is present, and it is in our lives that his authority is being shown if we choose to obey him. Instead of a temple or a gilded box, the kingdom of heaven has come to live in us. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your gospel, your good news message, that you have come to us, that you are with us, that your kingdom resides in us. Help us to believe. Help us even in our unbelief, Lord. And help us to work with you to uphold the purposes of your kingdom, to, to bring about your presence and will in the world, and to work alongside your Son. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Table Radio an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by Richard Charter. For more information, please go to richardchartermusic.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca.